Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 270. Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 270 you are listening to. My guest today is Derek Blackburn. Derek is a producer, engineer, mixer who works out of his own quiet house recording in Bedford, Massachusetts. He's also been a featured speaker and panelist at Music Expo Boston, Audio Engineering Society conventions, and Audio Builders Workshop events. So very much looking forward to having Derek on today. So Derek Blackburn coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about referrals. Mm. Sorry to sip in your ear there. Referrals. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Yeah, I know that doesn't really sound like a fun topic, but seriously, referrals can be a really good thing. And I'm not talking about giving your your friends and competitors the crappy gigs like, oh, man, I don't want this gig. I'm going to give it to so-and-so. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about honest-to-goodness, genuine referrals, matchmaking in the truest sense of the word, where you get a request from somebody for a particular kind of studio or an engineer with a particular temperament and you rack your brain and you figure out, first of all, are you the right person for the job? And if you're not, then maybe you should give that gig to somebody else and really, really extend an olive branch. Well, an olive branch indicates, would would insinuate that there's bad blood. Although that could work too. But extend a hand to a fellow engineer by saying, hey, you know what? I got a request for this kind of thing and I thought you'd be perfect for it. And they're gonna be thrilled. And, you know, regardless of how it turns out, because I think if you keep your intentions sincere and and genuine, and you really try to make a connection between people that have some things in common, I really think that it can be good for everybody involved. Now, you might say, but Matt, I'm giving up a gig when I do that. Yeah, you are, but you have to think about, and I'm going to get cosmic here. You have to think about what it is you're putting into the universe here, right? When you go out of your way to help others out and, you know, put words and sincerity into action by doing stuff like that, I think it comes back. Now, is it going to come back the next day, the next week, the next month, the next 10 years? Who gives a shit, right? You put out into the world what you want to get back. So if you get a request like I'm talking about, give it a shot. Try it. See what you think about helping someone else out and truly finding what's in the best interest of the the client. So, you know, and I always kind of give the caveat, whether you're in game sound, film sound, blah, 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 right. No matter where you are, if you have a gig 
and you want to take care of the client, the best way to take care of the client, no matter what the recording or audio discipline is, the best thing to do is find them the best person for the job. End of story. I mean, that's how it, it should work. By continued actions like that, I think in the community, people start to recognize that. And this is one of those cases of you just got to lead by example. You know, you could talk all the bullshit you want, but until you put those words into action and do that kind of thing, you know, you're just a talker. So think about it. Referrals. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button, at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation, and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. Let's get to it. Derek Blackburn here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Hey, Derek, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. 
Yeah. Well, thanks for taking the time. You're speaking to us from, is it Bedford, Mass? Bedford, Massachusetts. Yeah, it's just about 20 minutes outside of Boston. Where did you grow up? I grew up just outside of Chicago in a town called Kankakee, Illinois, right in between Chicago and Champaign-Urbana, actually. Mm. Okay. Do you know uh, Mark Rubel? I absolutely know Mark Rubel, yes. And what about Jonathan Pines? I know Jonathan Pines as well, though not as well as I know Mark. Okay. Because I associate those guys with that area, even though Mark now lives in Nashville. Yeah, that's that's why I mentioned that, <laughs> especially especially to audio people, because Mark played a pretty sizable role in my... Well, he recorded some bands that I was in in high school. You know, it was the place to record outside of Chicago. Essentially, everybody knew where Pogo was, and I like him quite a bit. Yeah, he's a fantastic human being, like, all the way around. I, I could say that without hesitation whatsoever. He's yeah. he's a great person. Who or what inspired you most to enter the world of audio? Well, it's kind of an interesting story because I was extremely lucky to have had the experience with music growing up that I did. The school district that I went to started their band program in third grade, which was not normal for most other school districts in Illinois. And starting in third grade, I, I played like saxophone and trumpet, and then I moved to trombone in sixth grade. And then through high school, I was in band, and I got a lot of exposure to the music theory and the mechanics of music, but also through that, we always would go to these solo and ensemble competitions and participate in these symphonic band and jazz band performances. They were statewide youth musicians coming together, and there would always be the performance aspect and the there would be an audio aspect. And I, I got exposure to both of those worlds very early on, especially in about seventh or eighth grade into high school. When I started doing more jazz band stuff, I moved from trombone over to bass guitar and the jazz band. And then like I was always interested in the sound reinforcement that they were using in the auditorium for our gigs. And then I was in bands in high school. There were three recording studios in town and each of them kind of did their own things. Like one place was a cakewalk with a Mackie 32 channel board <laughs> and another place was a Tascam 388 and he did all the mix downs to DAT and as soon as I moved over into from the music symphonic and jazz band stuff into like starting my own bands in high school and getting the awareness of the recording studios and all the different ways to do things like I I lost interest in, in the musician side and was kind of taken over with the audio side of things. So I have to credit the incredible education that I got, the music education that I got when I was in my youth and adolescence, because as I've talked to people through the years in audio, they have not always had that same sort of support. Mm. So it was, I, I don't know why this small town out in the middle of nowhere, Illinois, had some incredibly talented educators and mentors, and I, I give them a lot of credit. You worked at WKAN Radio as a board operator, and can you say the name of that town again? Kankakee. Kankakee. Kankakee, Boy. Illinois, yes. They're yes. going to love hearing that over and over again. Kankakee, <laughs> Illinois. Well... 
Yeah, if if you didn't know about it before, listeners, now you know Kankakee, Illinois. Tell me about that gig, about WKAN. Well, that job I got through a family member. In fact, quite a few of my family members had worked there throughout the years. And it was essentially just a board operator position where you go in, you set up music to be played, you make sure that the NASCAR race starts on time. You make sure the EAS system is working, the emergency broadcast system. It was just very much like the job was just one huge routine day after day. But there was a lot of opportunity for learning how to make commercials and stingers and how to put music and sound together. When I worked there, I was just out of high school. I was like in between high school and just out of high school. And they were just crossing over from using tape and cartridges for everything to an automated digital system. So I got a little bit of the analog tape cartridge side of things, but mostly we were doing like editing and cool edit pro and things like that. I was in there at just the right time. And sorry, I'm I'm actually sitting here staring at your LinkedIn page. And there's a lot of fascinating points on here for me that I would estimate that it it's kind of shaped you as to where you are now. For example, you got a certificate at MIT. Can you tell me about that? So the certificate is Essentially, it was a pilot program through their open courseware service, their online learning. And they were essentially like, we're going to offer our first certificate for open courseware. It's going to be circuits and electricity. And you're going to have, it's like a six to nine week course. You're going to have access to all the lectures, access to all the resources, and everything that the students have access to, including the textbook. We're giving them to you and you're going to go through the course and take the tests and everything and come out in the end with a certificate. So I did that because I've always been interested in circuits and circuit design, although I still have a long way to go compared to a lot of the other people that I've interacted with in like Audio Builders Workshop. But mm. I've always been very interested in that and I've always been a tinkerer. And it just kind of made sense at the time that I would throw myself into that. So that's that's what that is there for. I think that they've offered a few other certificates since then in other courses, but that was their initial offering. Hmm. I, I would assume that that has served you well since taking that, since obviously it's an interest and can be applied directly to what we do. Yes, absolutely. I'm a member of the Audio Builders Workshop, one of the founding members. And Audio Builders Workshop is a subgroup of the Boston section of the AES. And essentially, we support entrepreneurs and makers and people who are involved in DIY audio. And definitely having the ability to communicate with these people about circuits and design and kind of the 360 degrees of DIY audio has been really helpful. Tell me about Quiet House recording. This is something that looks like you started in 1998. Yeah, so Quiet House started as kind of an idea. It was a collective of people in my hometown. Most everybody were in bands or interested in recording or DIY 
in general. You know, we booked our own shows, we recorded our own records, we put out our own records. And this was in a time where it feels like now in this moment is a lot like how it was 20 years ago, 22 years ago. Mm -hmm. Whereas people have really taken back the power of releasing their own music and doing things on their own. I always say like people don't have an issue programming their VCR anymore, you know, number one, because (laughs) there's, there's no VCRs anymore, but the starting point for most people is so far beyond where we were 20 years ago that it's just very easy to do a Google search or watch a YouTube video. And like, this is how you make a record. This is how you can send your stuff off to get duplicated. Here's the best practices for this. You know, so it was very much the same back then. It was just like a really great collective of people. Fortunately in that area, and I'm sure that Mark can tell you the same thing about champagne just for some reason in that whole area in that time period there were so many incredibly talented people musicians and engineers and there was like a real community in each of these places and people just kind of like helped each other out right so Mm -hmm. quiet house started as as a recording I would record house shows I would record live shows I would record bands like in my garage There were like a couple other studios in town that I would work out of those studios, mostly in like an assistant sort of capacity. I would find bands from the south suburbs of Chicago to come record in Kankakee. Um, That was primarily how that started. And it lasted for a few years, but there was a, there's kind of a part in between where I had another career for a period of time and it was always like on the back burner. So I, I wasn't as involved in the music community because I was, you know, I either lived in Boston or Denver or Philadelphia at the time. And I was kind of trying to get things started up again, but I had other things going on in my life. So the current state of Quiet House now is it's you're in it right now. You're in yes. your house. And sorry, listeners, you can't see what I'm seeing, but Derek has what appears to be a really nice setup in his home. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. So in 2009, my wife and I lived in Philadelphia and we had a house with a huge basement. The ceilings were like 11 and a half feet tall. It was just like a really large space. And I really wanted to build it out and make it into a studio, but I just, I just couldn't get it to happen then for some reason. It just felt like for lack of a better way to explain it, I wasn't really getting along with Philadelphia. <laughs> it just wasn't, it just wasn't my kind of, I don't know. It wasn't a place where I really wanted to settle down. Right? Yeah. So this opportunity came up for us to move back to Boston. And the priority was to find a house where I could build a studio in the house. I had been working freelance doing a lot of traveling, making a lot of records with friends from about 2009, 2008, up to this point, up to 2011. And I was just ready to like have my own space. And we found a house and made a plan to renovate the house and build a studio in the basement and, you know, kind of like take it as far as we could and see what happened essentially. So the way it looks now, it's been like this since 2015, but it started in 2011. 
I was doing like reamping and mixing in the basement. It wasn't as built out as it is now. It was very much DIY. You know, I built my own absorbers. I used like the room EQ software to like measure my room and like I just did everything piecemeal as I could like putting things together I had a decent setup but as far as the room went it was you know it was like little by little and in 2015 we did a major home renovation and that's when we also did the studio as well and that's kind of how it how it looks today it was designed by Lou Clark of Sonic Space in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and was built by him and his business partner, Eric, from Soundwall Design. And essentially, we just collaborated. I told them exactly what I wanted. I wanted it to be a multi-purpose space where I could mix and record and be creative with the space, where I I'd be able to use the entire house for recording. So I put Cat6 all over the house so eventually like if i moved on moved to dante like i could have mike pre's anywhere in the house i haven't gotten there yet i'm still using a hundred foot snake <laughs> if <laughs> i want to go anywhere else in the house so but i'm getting there so you know it's it's just been a little bit every year kind of like building out more and more and i'm extremely happy with the way it is now i can i can pretty much do anything in this room it's about 450 square feet in in the control room where we are. It's a live end, dead end design where my speakers are actually in a wall and I can't see them like they're behind acoustic fabric. So I'm concentrating more when I mix or track on the entire you know, sound, the soundscape instead of like, you know, where my where my speakers are and where I am. Like it's all about the sound. The back of the room is polycylindrical diffusers. The entire ceiling is a base trap, so it's all fabric mm-hmm. and about about four inches of Roxwell safe and sound. And the 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 ceiling is actually nine feet, but with the Roxwell, you know, it's like twelve feet or something like that. So it's not completely dead. I don't know if that's translating through my voice. It's not completely dead, but it's like a just a really great environment to capture sound and especially to listen to music Mm -hmm. i try to leave as much as i can but it's it's hard (laughs) you know i I, my first question is is how do you make that work with your wife and utilizing the house for recording work so i record during the week and on select weekends and the select weekends are essentially when there's other things going on where her we also have a nine-year-old daughter to where they are going to be out of the house. I mean, my daughter is involved in some things, you know, like Girl Scouts and things like that. So there are lots of opportunities where they are gone on the weekends because some people can't record except on the weekends. And I totally understand that. But for the most part, I don't have a I don't have trouble booking people through the week. Essentially a a day for me looks like I I wake up around seven o'clock, you know, I have my tea. I've, I've given up coffee. I don't know how you feel about (gasps) that. Derek. (laughs) I know. I I might have to have an intervention. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I get up, I have my tea, I get my child ready for school. Like we have a little bit of family time, take her to the bus stop. And then Pretty much around nine o'clock, 
I'll start working on whatever. If I have people coming to the house to record, we're starting at nine o'clock. If I have mixing to do, I just like jump right in and do it. And we just work all day, usually until about six o'clock or so. And the evenings are, you know, family time or, or whatnot. I try not to work at night if I don't have to, you know, if there's something that is absolutely pressing and needs to be done, like two or three hours isn't a big deal. But I'm, I'm really against working very long hours during the day because I just don't feel that I give, I can give like a hundred percent or 90% or I just feel like it's really important to have those certain times during the day where like right now I'm going to work and like right now I'm going to meditate or spend time with my family or do something else that I enjoy. You know, I I see a lot of people get burned out very quickly especially over the last few years where they feel like they have to be at work and on constantly. And uh, I just think that's really a quality of life issue for a lot of people. Yeah, most definitely. I, I love that you you draw those those boundaries to make sure that you do have that quality of life. I think that's so important. When you're working in your basement, do you can the people above you hear what's going on or is it just kind of muffled? Yeah. So if we're recording drums, they can definitely hear primarily because the door is usually open at the top of the stairs for the sound to go outside where the microphones are. When I place microphones in the, um, it's, it's hard to describe, but essentially when you walk up to the top of the stairs, there's a very small, short hallway and it opens up into a, like a 900 square foot kitchen dining room and living room with large ceilings. So there's no parallel surfaces. Mm -hmm. So it's not like a very long echo. It's about 1.9 seconds or so. It sounds incredible (laughs) when I record (laughs) drums. It's like, I'm really blessed to like have that available. And also recording acoustic instruments up there is just like, it's really amazing. So yes, they can hear that. But if I'm doing like a vocal session or before I'm mixing, even at like, I usually mix around 85 decibels or something like that. They can hear it muffled. You know, it's, they can't hear conversations down here for sure. They can barely hear people who are singing at a fairly loud volume. So there is a little bit of soundproofing. Usually recording days, there's nobody else here except for me and, and whoever I'm working with though. Right. Another thing I should mention, it's a it's kind of a long house. So it's not it's not a gigantic house. It's it started as a ranch and the people who lived here before us put a second floor on that ranch. And then ten years after that, they built an in-law apartment above the garage. And if you don't know what an in-law apartment is, it's essentially a small apartment for like a mother-in-law or father-in-law or it can it can fit about one to two people at the max and there's usually no kitchen or anything like that it's just like a bedroom an office and a bathroom and a laundry room so that in-law apartment is now our master bedroom and it's actually technically disconnected from the part of the house where i am so if you go into and it's two stories tall as well so you can go into that room and not hear anything that's going on in here, even if there's drums. So there is a bit of separation in that way. Uh huh. So if there's drums being tracked, you send your wife and daughter to the master bed. Go to the <laughs> yes. safe room. We're we're recording drums, dear. Yeah, I mean, 
God bless my wife. She is 100% supportive of what I do. And a lot of the reason why I'm able to work out of our home is because of her support in that way, is that she's, she's willing to do that when it needs to be done. But also those times are few and far between because like I said, I'm, I try to work five days a week here and do things when it's not an issue for other people who live here. And, uh, yeah, so makes so sense. far I haven't had many issues with that. What aspects of being an audio pro do you find challenging? The thing that's really challenging about being an audio professional right now is twofold. On one side, it's really hard to keep up with all of the new technology that's coming out. And that could be either software or hardware because the software is getting much more sophisticated with mm -hmm. plugins like Soothe and Gullfoss and things like that, where it's essentially like a, it's a plugin that solves problems that would take you a long time to solve. It's essentially, I don't want to call it a Band-Aid because it's not a Band-Aid. It's, it's become now a part of people's workflows, but also with the proliferation of all of this new technology that solves all these problems, we have a much harder time trusting the older technology <laughs> and thinking that the old way of doing things is somehow less than because right. of this. And that can be very frustrating for people who are just coming into wanting to do this for a living because you think on one side, well, there's all of this really cheap hardware out there and all I have to do is get all of this really cheap hardware and I automatically have a thing going on when it rarely ever really works that way. It's much better to start with one thing and build upon that as you progress where you are, you're building your familiarity with these tools that have been around forever. And then you understand why we have a plugin version of it or why that's better or worse. And you're not just listening to somebody online talk about why it's better or worse. Oh, uh, you know, I, I totally can relate to that, what you're saying, because speaking of the Gullfoss plugin in particular, I use that when doing the podcast. Actually, I use it on a lot of mixes. John Cunaberti had turned me on to it and I could see how, well, you and I have been at this for a while and we immediately can go, oh yeah, yeah, that can save some time. I know what it's doing. Ooh, now it's doing something bad. Let me pull back on that. But somebody new coming in might see that as, oh, that's just how it's done. Oh my God, why would you do it any other way? Absolutely. It's, it is an interesting conundrum there. It is. And like I said, it's never been easier for people to build studios now with the resources that are available online of how to build your own studio, how to build absorbers, how to build the diffusers, like how to set up rooms. And like I said, the proliferation of cheap and easy to access hardware, it's just never been easier to get into this, but it's never been easier to get lost, completely, <laughs> totally lost in what is good, better, best. Yeah. 
Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. Do you have any productivity apps or systems that you use in running your studio or your life or your calendar or anything like that that you like? Yeah, so I use invoiced.com for all of my invoicing. Hmm. It's just like a meat and potatoes website. Like I can design any invoice that I need to send it wherever it integrates with Stripe. So I can take PayPal or Stripe or I can take any payment essentially. In Venmo, of course, I take like 80% of my payments through Venmo. It's just the way of the world now. I also use this website. I haven't seen a lot of people using it. It's called feedback.audio. Have you heard of this? I have not. So it's F-I-D-B-A-K dot audio. And what I know of it is it's a French company where I think it was first designed as kind of an answer to SoundCloud, but it's more like a private SoundCloud. And essentially what you can do is you can create playlists of songs. And once you upload the song, anyone who has a private link can download a a 320 kbps mp3 or the wave or lossless file and they can stream it either way as well huh and there's an area for conversations on the right hand side of all of the wave files so it's it's great for like quick mix notes it's great for just this one thing has to change can you change that real quick and upload it it's great for those sorts of things. I've used WeTransfer, I've used Swan, I've used a whole bunch of other Google Drive and everything. And you know what works for people works for them. This works for me and my clients seem to really like it as well. I was using an appointment scheduler for a long time and I know that you use Acuity. Yeah. And I feel like I do have a lot of this on my own and I keep everything in a Google calendar and also a physical calendar for my family. So I used to use Square appointments. Oh. And I really like that a lot because essentially what you could do is you could have a landing page for someone, much like Acuity, where they just pick a time frame and book a time and you get a email and text notification to approve it and if you approve it then it's booked and it was had very good flow right the issue is is that is great for repeat clients people that i trust okay it's not great for people that i don't know (laughs) because my studio is in my home and i have to have an extra layer of awareness over the people who i'm inviting into my home So a lot of times, especially when I'm taking on new clients, I am looking for them. I'm going to shows, I'm going to music industry events, I'm going out and shopping them. 
and saying, I have a studio in my home. If you're not working with anybody, I would love to have you over, even just to record a song or something to see if we vibe okay. Like for a lot of other studios, I understand they like want to take in anybody, you know, who wants to record, come in and let's do it. And like, this is where we are. For me, I just need an extra layer of, I have to be sure that the people that are coming over here are good people, legit, nice people who won't <laughs> steal everything from me. I don't know how to say that. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> here in the Bay Area, I'm noticing an uptick in home invasion robberies. And that's, you know, that can get people on edge. And so putting out a, a big sign saying, hey, book my home studio where me and my family reside and, right. you know. Oh, we'll just set a time to come and rob you. Yeah. And that has happened. I have friends and acquaintances that I've seen that happen to. And like, it's just, I would love to take advantage of those tools. But for me, like, this is what works for me and it works mm -hmm. for my family. And, you know, and the other thing, just to mention, you know, there's like cameras all over my house inside and out. And actually the studio is on its own electrical system so the there's a it's, it has its own alarm system as well so it's completely separate in all ways from the house oh wow gotta ask when you say it's on its own electrical system does that mean you have another feed coming from the street or is that just a tap off of your existing electrical no i have another feed coming in from the street how does that work with a utility company, what what hoops do you got to jump through? Does it what does it cost? Tell me. I about can't that. wait to answer this question. Oh, just lay it out, then, my friend. <laughs> so, okay, do you know who Bill Whitlock is? I do not. Okay, Bill Whitlock works at Jensen Transformers, and he changed my life. And this is how I went to an AES convention in Los Angeles. I think it was in 2014. I think it was my second AES. And the first AES I went to, I didn't go to any lectures or anything like that. But this year I bought a all access pass. And I was just like, I'm going to go to every single lecture that looks interesting to me. So he was doing a lecture on essentially how power gets from the power station to your studio, to your home. And I went in and listened to his lecture where he went through how power is distributed, what are the issues that you have with power when it comes into your home or into your studio and like all of the different wiring, the issues that you have with wiring and phase and how that affects your electrical equipment that you use for recording. I mean, it was just, and I guess this is a talk that he has done throughout the years so he hadn't done it in a while and this was like his first time doing it <laughs> like since the 90s or something like that right so i went up to him and i was like i'm building a studio in my house and like i have an opportunity where i have two electrical feeds and i'll get into that in a second i have an opportunity to essentially have the studio on its own power what are the things that i should do you know, so he was like, I'll send you some things to give to your electrician and and he'll understand because I didn't at the time. So the reason that we have two feeds into the house is because of that in-law apartment. So there is one power main that comes in here. Well, actually, there's two power mains that come in here on my side of the house, but one goes all the way to the other side of the house. And that's how the in-law apartment had its own electricity and was on its own bill and all of that. So what we did 
after the the renovation was we took that other one and that second feed and just made it completely for the basement. So the spare room that I have over here, my studio, any of the utilities that I use, they're all here. Everything is here. And the first main feed does everything else. It was mind bending. Okay. So, <laughs> so first of all, we were very lucky because we had, we were doing a whole house renovation when we were doing the electrical. So they didn't have to do the electrical aside from like this whole rewiring of the house that they were doing anyway. If it was something where we were doing that on our own, it would have been incredibly expensive. I mean, it just would have been thousands and thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars to separate the two. But because we were doing a home renovation and everything was getting rewired anyway, it was very easy. It was built into the home renovation. Got it. So essentially the, the thing that they do is the electrical company just runs another main up to the house off of the main electricity that they're distributing to your neighborhood. And we have a transformer right here outside of the house. So as far as I know, it was very easy for them to just run another line up when they had to. But the real issue is when it gets into the house, they have to be separate. They have to be on separate grounds. I may be wrong and you may get letters about this, but I believe one main is flipped on the other. Like it's a different phase than the other. So it doesn't induce noise because they're coming in on in the same physical location, but they're not connected. But because they're in the same location, one has a different phase than the other. Right. So the polarities flip between between the two separate lines coming in. Otherwise, there would be the potential for extra noise. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, I'm no electrician, but if we get letters and postcards. Yeah. I would love that to. That shows <laughs> us that people are using letters and postcards still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's that was the situation. And like I said, it was it was incredibly complicated because they had to untie the electricity for two different areas of the house. They were rewiring one anyway. So it was great that we were doing that part of the renovation. But if I would have been like, well, I'm building a studio and I need a feed for myself, it would have been financially very expensive. So does that mean that a separate bill is generated? Yes, a separate bill is generated. Wow. So that makes tracking your electric use really nice and yes. very easily itemizable as, as a write-off. Yes. Wow. Correct. What's Well, so what's your monthly usage? Like what's my a typical bill? It's about $150. Oh my God. Wow. That's is yours cool. more or less? Oh geez. Yeah. We just got the new bill for the house. I don't want to tell you what the house bill is. Well, the house, I mean, the, the combined electric and house, uh, electric and gas this last month, it was like $475 between the two. Between, you know, we had some gas usage. We've got a, a fireplace that you can turn on with the flip of a button. And that, I think, <laughs> I'm the one that abuses that. Same here. We have a gas fireplace that we use every once in a while, but the house is, it's between $400 and $450 a month for electricity. Yeah. That's a chunk. Yeah. You know, it's only, what is it, February? So I'll be getting January's bill here pretty soon. I don't know if you can see this, but I have a 
You got a mini split. I have a mini split, right? Yeah. So that's what I use for heat. I don't use the forced water heating here because I'm in an insulated room. (laughs) I'm in an insulated room and it turns into a sauna. Like if I have hot water in here. You know, this is a, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this and for selfish reasons, because we are talking about doing a major change in our house. And we talked about dumping the old forced air system in and changing out to a series of mini splits. And we explained the pros and the cons to the kids. And they were and uh, our youngest, who's very, he gets overheated and I get, I get cold because, you know, I'm old, but uh, we explained that you could have easily one room on heat and one room on cool. And he was, he was blown away by that. He said, what, let's do that. Yes. I absolutely love Benny splits. So our house, when we moved into it, it didn't have any central air conditioning at all. Yeah. And it does get very warm in new England in the summer. So it was just turned the entire house into a oven. We've put in four mini splits, I believe one, two, three, yeah, four. And they do air conditioning in the summer and heat in the winter. And as long as electricity stays relatively cheap, like it's okay to use in conjunction with our gas heating, but you know, electricity charges are going up, unfortunately. So I'm not sure how this is going to look next year or the year afterwards, Mm -hmm. but it's still manageable right now. We also use clean energy. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, so it's a little cheaper, but the next, I mean, we have to put in solar panels on the house at some point in order to just keep, keep you know, the cost away. down. Yeah, keep the cost down. I'm under the impression, and correct me if, if I'm wrong, because you own many splits. I'm under the impression that they're far more energy efficient to use than a forced air system because a forced air system takes so much energy and it only deals with one temperature for the whole house unless you have multiple systems on different thermostats. And therefore, if I'm home alone during the day and I want a little heat, I can just heat for a little bit in my room here and I don't have to heat the whole rest of the house. That's correct. Well, that's what I do because I don't spend any time in the house unless I have a session I'm recording. I mean, it's comfortable up there anyway, but the house is on its own. Like, you know, people turn the heating down when they're not home during the day. It's the same thing as it is here. It's like, I just don't, I don't care what it is up there. I'm only concerned about the basement. Now, the basement does get cold if I don't turn the heater on. This room has to be climate controlled for many different reasons, right? When I had much more tube equipment, that wasn't an issue because the tube equipment gave off a lot of heat. And because it's an insulated room, it would get very warm in here. I also have halogen lights above me. When they were first installed, there were four, three and four halogen lights on this side of the room. And if you turn them all the way up within 15 minutes, it was, you're like in an oven. It was just way overkill. Yeah. Just too much, too much heat. So I just turned that heater on whenever I need it to be comfortable in here. And it is, to answer your question, yes, it is way more energy efficient because it's pulling the air that's already in the room and running it through either over the hot or the cold coils in order to heat or cool the uh, air. So it's not taking air from another part of the house or it's not working as hard for sure. Interesting. I wanted to ask you about survival. And it's kind of a combo question. 
survival, getting clients, maintaining the studio. And as many listeners, including yourself, have probably heard me say before, when you have a, a setup like this, it's kind of like a hotel room or an airplane or a rental car. You want to keep it in the air, on the road, booked with people sleeping in it, so to speak. I think everybody gets my analogy here. So what do you do to make sure that you keep the work coming in? Participation in your community is absolutely paramount now for survival. And you can take that to mean anything, really, any way you want. Your local community, like your town or your city or in your neighborhood, your music community, your audio community. I love recording bands. I love rock music. I've played and recorded rock music my entire life. That is what I love to do. It's about 60% of what I do, though. I'm in an interesting position here where I'm in the suburbs, so I'm just far enough away from Boston to be a suburb and just far enough away from like central Massachusetts to be considered part of the city. So when companies or radio stations in Boston need talent to come in or people they want to interview to come in on a Thursday or Friday afternoon, they're like, can you find me a place to go instead? I don't want to drive into the city at three o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Because if you know about traffic in Boston, it's like right up there now with San Francisco and Los Angeles, and it's very bad. You yeah. know, it's anytime after three o'clock on an afternoon, getting into and out of Boston is a nightmare. So instead, they'll come to me. And I've recorded interviews for NPR, for Harvard Business School. I'm also a freelancer in their Carmen Hall at their podcast studio. I've recorded for where I'm surrounded by high tech companies that don't have AV departments like iRobot, Oracle, Navex Global. They need people to record their executives who are on podcasts or they're doing internal marketing or HR things. Like anytime they need somebody to be in front of a microphone and record them, but that person doesn't want to go into the city. I usually get those jobs. And because of my involvement in AES, I know a lot of the studios that are in my area. I don't know any other studio who does as much of this as I do. So I'm, I feel like I'm very fortunate for that. That's kind of what happens when I'm not recording bands. And it's so much faster to set up for those people than it is for you know a day-long recording session for a, for a band. So that's one way that I survive. I think that it's very important for people to curate their communities if the communities will have them. And what I mean by that is I'm offering my services like any other service provider, but I'm not going to get anybody into my studio unless they know I'm here. And it takes more than a Facebook ad or an Instagram account to do that. It takes going out into the public and interacting with people in their environments. You know, for me, if I want to record more bands, I go to shows. I participate in the local music scene. I participate in the local music community. I find ways to be a resource for them other than just recording. You know, like I have a pretty solid background in marketing as well, so I can help in that way. 
I have a lot of really great connections all over the country of people who I wanted to get into this a little more, but essentially they're There's one main group that I'm a part of that's just about four people where we talk every day about issues that we're facing as studio owners, essentially. And we're all in different places. I would mention them by name. I don't know if they want me to do that. (laughs) But you know, one guy's in Florida, one guy's in Nashville, one guy's in Los Angeles. And it's a mastermind group. It is a mastermind group, yes. And it has allowed me... And I definitely think that they have their place, but it's allowed me to like leave the online forum world almost altogether as far as I participate less in those groups uh-huh. and I participate more in the mastermind group and in the community groups that I'm a part of like here in my local area or in greater Boston, whether it's AES or there's a few music industry groups that I'm a part of as well you know, where they have events where people get together and talk about marketing, talk about recording, preparing for tours, like how do you do this and who are the resources? And and there's a lot of other people who are participating in that as well, who are studio owners and, and whatnot. It's just, we're very blessed here in Boston. The the music the music scene here in, in all genres is very strong. You know, what you said, I want to dig into just a little bit. You're distancing yourself a bit from these forums, and I, strangely enough, am doing the same thing because I'm finding that I'm not getting anything out of it. I'm seeing it's like an enhanced bad Facebook conversation most of the time. And I want to turn you on to this if I haven't turned you on to it before. The Facebook newsfeed eradicator. I've noticed that you have that. Yeah, it's great because it's a a Chrome plugin. You add it to your your extensions, and then whenever you go to Facebook, you get nothing but quotes. You don't see any feed, and you could still access you know groups if you want or chats or messenger stuff. But every time I go there, I think, oh, what's going on on Facebook? And then I forget that I put it on, and then I see those quotes, and I go, you know what? I'm not going to go on Facebook. I'm going to have to disable right. that extension to do that. That's a pain right now. Yeah. I got better things to do. So I depend on Facebook for events. I mean, there's really, other than Eventbrite, if the people that I follow are on Eventbrite and they're doing their events through Eventbrite, I don't know what's going on at all, like in Boston or otherwise. So I really depend on Facebook for its events functionality. But, and I'm going to try to be as nice as I can when I say this, that I strongly believe that I have learned very little in the last 10 years of participating in online forums. It usually ends up where somebody asks a question and you answer that question based on your experience. And you understand that five other people have different experiences and I'm not discounting that at all. But what I am discounting is the person who comes and regurgitates the wrong information over and over and over again. There's so many people out there who are learning how to be an authority because they want to be an authority. They want to be somebody that people look up to, but they're trying to do that through education. But they're they're talking about the, the things that we have been talking about for years and years that nobody cares about, or they're regurgitating the same things that have been said online over and over and over again, like on gear sluts and sites like that, where it's there's really no 
meet. It's just essentially, I know better than you do, and who are you? And that just drags down the global conversation as far as audio engineers go. So I have found, I've been in this mastermind group for at least the last five or six years. And I've found that if I have an issue, if I have a business issue, if I have a client issue, if I need a contract or if I need advice, like I can go to these people and have a conversation with no BS, <laughs> no, nobody else chiming in and being like, well, I've never done that before. And that's not the way you do it. Or that's not the way like this mixer I know does it. Or that's not, you know, it's not like that. It's very much just like trust, honesty, authenticity, and just, we're all in this together with no noise. And it's just been, I encourage anybody who has a loosely knit group of friends like on the internet that are like that to start a group chat, start a group chat on Facebook messenger, something like that. And just be like, this is our group chat that we come to whenever we have an issue, whenever we yeah. have a question. And I've talked about it before. You know, I have a mastermind group that I meet with every Friday as I did this morning with other folks like other podcasters, other YouTubers. Well, not that I'm a YouTuber, but other people who are doing a similar thing. It really inspires me. First of all, it gets me out of bed at the crack of dawn because of, <laughs> of, the, of the time differences, but it's really inspiring to do it. And I think that what you're saying is so important that we'd not look at forums as the only source of information because you can get a trusted group of people together who can give you, they know you, they'll be kind to you, they'll be straight with you if they think, you know, they'll call you out on something in a diplomatic way. The way people talk to each other online is absolutely absurd. Yes. Absolutely absurd. And going back to WCA number nine, Andrew Sheps, you know, don't be a dick. That is absolutely that should be the ground rules to engage with anybody. Yes. And you know, the other thing is, is that it's so funny to me because I do a ton of research on records that I love, whether it's been records I've loved since I was a kid or like new stuff that I listen to now where I just have to know who made that record. And what's great about now is most of the time, the people who make records now are also online and there's an opportunity to interface with them or whatever the case may be. And that's been great. But there are literally thousands and thousands of audio professionals who have been making records for the last 35 plus years who are nowhere near a Facebook. Okay. Like there's people who have been or nowhere near these forums, right? There's, there's just so many engineers out there who have made records who just don't participate at all. You know, they're just not there and they are extremely successful. They are people who have just, whatever their situation is, they have found their niche, they have found their thing that they do well and they are on their own or maybe they have this and they're just not, they just don't participate in the social media conversation, whatever the case may be. My point is making a decision even a little bit just to let go of that crutch of like the fear of missing out mm -hmm. can liberate you, <laughs> can liberate you in the way that you 
think about your work and the way that you interact with people. Because I'll tell you, just what you said, the the way that people interact with each other online is absurd. I can't even begin to think about how these people sometimes complain about not getting work, not being able to find work or anything like that. And they don't understand like the, the basic tenets of like interacting with somebody on an interpersonal level and treating them like a human being. I mean, there's a book by um, Michael Beinhorn, Unlocking Creativity. Oh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I know the book, but tell the audience about it. He goes into this in depth in all of these different situations about how he has interacted with artists, both when they've been easy to work with and extremely difficult, different ways of looking at situations. It's essentially the Bible on how to problem solve interpersonal issues in the studio if you're a music producer. And the more that I have pulled out of those online forums and the group think of that sort of thing and really dived into the things that people say who I respect in some of these books where the, you know, the advice is right there for you and it is extremely simple to follow. And there's no, it's in black and white, right? It's just a really, really great book on how to deal with that, that sort of thing. But so many people online are not in that mindset at all. They're on the online forum mindset, and it's just really difficult to get through to them. It's just your advice, just kind of, it gets very lost, <laughs> lost in all of the noise. I really like what you had to say, how it, distancing yourself and losing that fear of missing out really can liberate you. And it really frees up a lot of time. Facebook in the past has been, I'm not going to say it's been an extreme problem for me, but it's definitely like a big time waste for me. And I find that, you know, interacting with people directly, I think that's, I find that more useful. Absolutely. Join AES if you're so inclined or go to an AES networking night. If there's one in your community, in your town, I've been involved with AES for quite a few years now. And I, I was just the secretary of AES for the last few years up until the end of January. And it's been indispensable, the relationships that I've built participating in that community to my, not only my career, but like my mental health, (laughs) you know, it's like real people in front of you talking about the things that you love in the places that you love, where people have made records that you love, like go to a convention or start your own group. You know, it's just, we're just getting to a point now where there's only so much that you can absorb online if you are into this stuff. Mm-hmm. That's why I love podcasts so much because it's a conversation. It's a conversation between people and the advice and perspective that I've gotten, especially from your podcast, has been it's been immeasurable in how it's helped me shape my perspective on on this work. You know, there's just been people I've never heard of and hearing them talk about their work. It's been so inspirational. It's just so different than like sitting there and going through 100 or 200 comments of people just like (laughs) blah, 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 blah. It's just, it's a different world. 
I want to ask you, one of the questions I have written down here is, what do you think audio pros should be doing to best serve their clients as like an overarching concept? Well, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, especially in the last few months. I had a mild cardiac event in July. Oh, Not a heart attack, but just high blood pressure and elevated blood pressure. And I had to make a lot of changes in my in my diet. And of course, I stopped drinking coffee for a period of time. Well, I stopped drinking coffee and I haven't really had but like maybe two cups since. It forced me to take an assessment of the things that I was doing every day to be ready to do work. And of course, like first and foremost, to be here for my family, right? But let me tell you about some things that I've learned that have absolutely helped me be more successful in the last nine nine months or so. Meditation has been the number one thing that has helped me lower my blood pressure and my stress level and iron out my emotional attitude about the different ways that this work affects me, whether it's being extremely excited for landing a client or being disappointed when I hear somebody has gone to work with somebody else to things that happen in a a session and how I emotionally react to them. Like if I'm patching something together, I have a bad cable and I can just fix it real quick. The level of stress is like way down now. I've always been able to take care of it, but something has changed inside of me where like I can deal with it in a much different, more positive and optimistic mindset. So I've been meditating since July, twice a day and whenever I need to. And like I said, the benefits have been absolutely amazing. It takes about two weeks or so to really feel a difference, to really feel a benefit. You have to be dedicated to it, but it's just like any other thing that you do to change your habits, to improve your life. There's a period where you're just like, I don't know if this is happening or it's going to plateau or whatever the case may be. I promise you, if you stick with it and just Google meditation exercises and start there. I have an iPhone. I use an app called State. It's free. It's very simple. There's four exercises, one for before bed, one when you wake up in the morning, one if you're feeling overly stressed, and another if you're... I don't know. I just use the sleep one. I do the one in the morning and the one at night. So those are the two that I use most of all. That has been the thing that's really changed me the most. And I've found that it's affected my life most positively. The other thing is exploring the creative side of our work even more deeply than you think you have. Um, So I think that a lot of people who got this next book I'm going to mention. I think that they got this book and they are kind of blown away by all of the stuff that they weren't doing, they could be doing. But the Recording Unhinged book by Sylvia Massey, Hmm. what a great compendium of stories and different ways of creative problem solving. It's just like, what a great reference that book has been. I like urge anybody out there to really think about how creativity plays in the way that they run their studios, they run their sessions, the way that they interact with clients, 
like organize your studio and your sessions for like maximum creativity. If a client wants to do something, they want to mic this thing up or have things ready, have a place that's conducive to high level creative work. And you don't need a ton of equipment to do that. You just have to have things set up in a way that allows you to work quickly and creatively. I don't know if I explained that in the right way, but I've been reading so many books lately about creativity and tapping into creativity and not just like audio people, but dancers and contemporary artists and things like that. I've really been trying to find inspiration for success through people who don't do anything related to audio. Make sure that you know what details actually matter. Paying your bills, paying taxes, making sure you have a business license. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if you're doing this facing the public, make sure that all of those things are taken care of. You don't want to be caught without all of those things being set up correctly. Well, we are out of time, Derek, but I want to thank you so much for being with me here today. The the studio's website listeners is quiethouserecording.com. That will be, of course, in the show notes as always. Derek, really great to chat with you. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. It's been a really great chat. All right. Take care. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app, and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it, and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro-looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Sampley.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. Derek Blackburn here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LPUNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LPUNF. Want to thank everybody that helped out with the show. That includes Anne-Marie Plow on the editing, Cliff Truesdale on the Working Class Audio theme song, and Mr. Chuck Smith, the voice. Make sure you head on over to workingclassaudio.com to check out today's show notes. Also, connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to hear from you. And until next time, take care.
Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. Many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out. 